Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Connor McGregor the other day in an interview, he said, if I'm not winning, I'm learning. Never think, hey, I'm going in for a two-hour hike and I've got eight hours left of daylight. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. What's going to happen? Well, you may slip on that rock and you may not be able to walk. Just take a class and then start practice, practice, practice. You know, we have all the time, hey, he's driving a, a Dodge Ram truck and we go to the parking lot and there's no Dodge Ram truck. Come to find out he, he didn't make it to the gorge. He, he went off on a little foray somewhere else. We see a tremendous amount of people in today's society that cannot read a map. Hey everyone and welcome to the Survival Show Podcast. I am, guess what, your solo, solo host today. So I, me, Greg Cottle, I'm pretty excited today. We have uh, my very good friend and fellow Nature Reliance School instructor, Mr. Tracy Trimble, coming in today to be interviewed. And Tracy's going to tell us more about his background and why we wanted to have him on. Today we're going to be focusing on rescue rescue, how to be rescued, the things that go along with rescue, search and rescue, and particularly as it pertains to survival. So we'll get into Tracy's background shortly and see why he's here. So how you doing, Tracy? Doing good. How are you doing, Craig? Wonderful. Ben, you there, my friend? I'm here. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. boys let's get started tracy uh for those that are listening tracy is a very active search and rescue volunteer and what i want to do to get started is if you don't care tracy just tell us a little bit about uh some insight and how you came to do the work that you do with search and rescue well married my wife in 2014 we lived in different counties so we went back and forth about where we were going to live and with her work she's a, a school teacher so we decided to move back to our home county the uh, current counties that I lived in, moving away from college, their search and rescue teams were operated through their fire department, and their fire departments were paid departments. Whenever I moved back home, the fire department here was all volunteer, very small county, very rural, and uh, not a lot of funds, not a big tax base to operate large um, fire departments. So everything was volunteer and kind of liking to be outside and hiking, camping. And I thought it was a good way to get involved and, um, you know, help people out, get back in, uh, give something back to the community and such. And um, so I contacted the fire department, uh, joined it, and they operate the search and rescue team here for the county and mutual aid for other counties. So and that's kind of how I got started. So was that the same throughout the state of Kentucky? I mean, is everybody go through the fire department or are other organizations just on their own through search and rescue or how does that work? Yeah. Uh, here in the state of Kentucky, search and rescue is directed, sponsored by some entity, some government entity, and ours is through the county fiscal court. You can have, and we do have, actually I'm, I'm involved with two different search and rescue teams. 
one for my local county through the fire department, then one through the neighboring county that is a standalone search and rescue team. We have a organization in Kentucky Emergency Management that controls and operates and manages and lays out all of the requirements to operate a search and rescue team here in Kentucky. And that's what the other county, the Wolf County team, is a standalone search and rescue team. And then some counties operate through their fire department, which is what how my uh, current county, uh, Menifee County, operates. Under that scenario, we are governed by the State Fire Commission and uh, directive of our county judge executive. He, um, he kind of lays everything out. Then we have to meet the standards of the uh, fire commission. As far as you as a, as a member of a team or, or, or whether multiple teams for you in particular, what kind of training do you have to go through? I guess what I want to make sure our listeners know is that and cause a lot of people just don't understand search and rescue is they think just people, hey, I want to be search and rescue, and they just go out on a search. Can you just share with people some of the things that you have done, some of the training that you've done just to be able to do what you do? Oh, yeah, and and I'd, I had no clue either. Never been on a search and rescue team prior to moving back and never been involved on a search and rescue event. So the process for me was to apply for membership, again, through the fire department, they do a complete background check on you and, and make sure that you're a stand-up citizen. And then from there, they have all kinds of classes. Some of them are required. One particular that everyone has to take is what's called BSAR, Basic Search and Rescue. But there's other classes like search management classes, lost person behavior, online FEMA incident command structures uh, classes, uh, technical rope rescue, land navigation, first aid, and then a whole litany of classes dealing with the fire department. So every team, depending on who they're governed by, will have a training and education requirements. So you just kind of jump on board and, and, and start that process. For those that are listening, uh, when we say that Tracy's from a rural part of Kentucky, I think some statistics are probably worthwhile to understand. Like last year, an area that Tracy does search and rescue in the Red River Gorge here in Kentucky. I saw one estimate last week that said five hundred to 600,000 people visited the Red River Gorge last year. And for an example, uh, I just looked at the numbers before I got on here, 4.1 million people visited Yosemite. Yosemite has professional rescue teams that are paid, and lots of them. And there's a lot of volunteers too, obviously. But basically, uh, you've got volunteers here in the state of Kentucky that are trying their best to take care of a, a very rough part of the world and doing it on a volunteer basis. And just because they're volunteer doesn't mean that they're not well-trained. So one of the things that I want to make sure that we get into is is how how does your work here in Kentucky differ from somebody like out there, out west, maybe in the Rocky Mountains or something like that? Well, as you mentioned, naturally they're going to have um, more travel into the areas that they operate in. So more people equates generally to, to more events. But the principles apply the same. We probably don't have to deal with some activities that they have to deal with, like skiers and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. But we still deal with lots of lost hikers, all kinds of injuries, horse riders, off-road vehicles, rock climbers. You know, Red River Gorge is kind of noted for rock climbing uh, all over the world, actually. The Wolf County team is Swiftwater Rescue Qualified. And then, of course, throughout the counties, we deal with kids walking away and Alzheimer's patients, and we just had a horse rescue the other day in the gorge. Do what? What happened? I mean, did, did, he get a, did the horse get away from somebody? 
No, it actually got down on a riverbank and um, oh, got wow. uh, stuck in the mud. Yeah, so they pulled in um, a rescue team. the The one thing about the rescue teams around here is is that you can, if you're interested in a certain area, then you can go and specialize in that area. They have classes for it, and so uh, this was with our neighbors, Powell County, and they had um, two or three people who were interested in animal rescue and had been through the class. So they pulled volunteers in and went down and kind of um, rescued the horse. There's certain things you have to do with a horse whenever it's stuck or you injure it. Uh, we've been over cliffs to rescue dogs. So it's a wide, wide range. We never know what's coming in when that phone rings. To help those that are listening more directly, let's, because uh, I, I just want to make sure everybody understood that search and rescue folks are not just, hey, I want to do this. They, you all are well-trained, but what can we do? What can our listeners do? What can I do to help avoid the need for you guys? I mean, what kind of things can our listeners do to avoid the need for rescue? Well, you know, a couple of things, you know, every time we go and, and assist someone out of the woods here, um, be it being lost or injured, we kind of talk to them and try to gain uh, what happened because there's certain, um, certain information that we have to collect. The state wants to compile the data so that we can have better understanding of what's going on. But the vast majority of our rescue, Craig, is, is just people not being prepared. They either, they either don't dress for the weather. <laughs> I wish I had $100 for every time we went in and got someone wearing flip-flops. And they're on a four and five and six mile hike and they're wearing flip-flops. Oh, my gosh. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, they don't bring water on a 85, 90 degree muggy day here in Kentucky and just not absolutely just not being prepared rarely. And I do mean rarely if we if we go in and get in the people who do carry maps and GPSs, they're prepared and, you know, we don't have to go in and rescue. Them. Now, keep in mind, you can do everything right and still have an accident. You know, you, you can slip on a rock and that kind of stuff. But but yeah, just being unprepared. Um and then on top of that, just lack of skills. We we went in and we went in and got a um, a couple. Let's see, this was this probably been about a year, year or two years now. But when we reached them, they had in one hand a GPS, in the other hand a working phone, because we were talking to them on the phone and they could not uh, locate their vehicle. Just not having the skill set of lane navigation and course first aid and that kind of stuff uh, they get in and get um get injured and and they just don't have the skills you know to help them out of course alcohol always plays a role in it which is just you know crazy you don't want to go out and get drunk or drink and walk cliff lines you know just in summary i mean you would say unprepared and lack of skills if there are two things people just don't oh, yeah they're just unprepared with the gear and they yeah, just don't have skills so. to be out there. So yeah, and and the gear also includes um, <laughs> no headlamp. Uh, unbelievable that people go out uh, hiking and and they don't have any type of headlamp with them. Yeah. So then, how many people do you go out there and pick up and they're walking around in the dark using a, a light on their cell phone? How often does that happen? Um, <laughs> a lot. It, well. <laughs> Until that, until the battery starts going dead. Yeah. And then they look down and they see, you know, 10% battery life. So they end up trying to call someone. Uh, I have been on the phone with them before and trying to gain their 
information, you know, where they parked and where they went and the trail name or number and, and that kind of stuff. And the phone, I ask them, the first thing I ask is always, you know, one is, you know, are there any injuries? And two, what's a life uh, left on your battery for your phone? And sometimes I'll get, well, it's down to 1%, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we, we see a little bit of everything. So the, as far as, uh, one of the things that we've been talking about, I know you and I talk about this in nature and school classes, but we've been talking on the podcast too and trying to encourage people to do is, is to tell someone, uh, information before people go out. Cause that from our perspective is we're, we're not search and rescue here on the survival show podcast. So what kind of, well, first off, is that a good idea outside of doing your own due diligence and being prepared and, and developing your skill set, tell someone now, and, and we hear this all the time, tell someone where you're going and what time you're going to be back. I wish people would actually write it down, you know, because I may. She may have, and she does have 10 million things going on and she may not hear the exact name that I, that I speak. So write it down, send it in a text, that, that kind of stuff. And don't just tell someone that you're going to the Red River Gorge or to such and such park. Let them know what trail you're going on, what uh, parking lot you're going to be parking at, uh, what vehicle you're going to be driving. We had one instance where a gentleman had went to hike. The wife thought that he was going alone. He went to a good buddy's and stopped in to talk and his buddy wanted to go. So they drove the buddy's vehicle. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, that kind of stuff. So, so his car doesn't show up at all when y'all go oh, looking for yeah. him. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And people being people, Craig, you know, we have all the time, hey, he's driving a, a Dodge Ram truck and we go to the parking lot and there's no Dodge Ram truck. We come to find out he, he didn't make it to the gorge. He <laughs> he went off on a little foray somewhere else. So, yeah, that, that was a good one. We we searched and searched trying to find that vehicle and come to find out it wasn't, uh, wasn't even that. But tell someone... But write it down, send it in a text, where you're going, where you're parking, what trail. Uh, and if you're going to take multiple trails, you know, write all those down. And uh, what time you plan on coming back and what to do if I'm not by, back by a certain time. I, I would recommend writing down your license plate. That speeds everything up so that your wife can or your significant other or your best buddy can say, hey, you know, here's a license plate. Because just because it's a Ram truck doesn't mean it's the right one. The only Ram truck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know for those listening, as we've said, Tracy and I are friends and there's been many times where I've done exactly what Tracy just told everybody to do where I'll send him a text and, uh, he's done the same for me. And, and, and actually David is out at shot show right now. And one of the guys he's with is Tim from everyday tactical videos. And Tim sent me a text the other day said, Hey, he was going to go out into the desert of Nevada and he was going to go to this place. And, I told him to send me coordinates and that way at least somebody knows because he's got family with him. He didn't have anybody call. So at least I could call search and rescue out there and tell them, Hey, this is where this guy's parked. This is where he intended on going. And one of the ways I've always done it with Tracy is that if Tracy's doing that to me and I'm, I'm the go-to guy he's contacting, I always just set alarm on my phone. <laughs> that yeah, way, sure. if Tracy says he's supposed to be out at 5 PM, I'm, I'm not saying Tracy does this when he goes on search and rescue. I'm just saying back in the day, we did this a lot when we were just training. I will set an alarm, and if that alarm goes off and I haven't heard from Tracy, then I'm getting to work. Uh, I'm calling somebody. I'm calling the people that I should be calling. So that's that's just some 
pre-planning ideas. Is that uh, anything you can throw in there to add to that? Or I haven't, didn't mention, but yeah, I do the same way um, with you. I set that alarm and because we get busy and, and everything else. But but yeah, give detail. One thing that, that I do if I'm going out by myself, I print off a map. You know, I always have a, a printed map of where I'm going, but I'll print off a, an additional copy, highlight the area that I'm going in, and I may be planning on going off trail. And if I'm going off trail, then I would definitely highlight the areas that I that I want to be exploring or maybe looking for a waterfall or something like that. But I highlight that on the map. And then, of course, my wife is you know familiar with search and rescue team members here, so she knows exactly who to call. And, yeah, it, it wouldn't hurt to leave a, leave a copy of the map where you're going. That's a... That's a great way to segue right into what we were wanting to get into next, which is what I call loss proofing. Just how do you how do you set yourself up so you don't get lost to begin with? And so what what can you recommend to us to be able to do that? You know, set out a plan to to prepare yourself. And one of the one of the um, aspects of training with Nature Alliance School that you teach is develop those skills through mindset skills, tactic and tactic and gear in that order. And if you go in that order, then you'll, you'll, you'll be much more prepared to, to go for a hike or a camp or even a hunting trip or anything like that. We've already covered letting someone know the where and the winds of your trip. We see a tremendous amount of people in today's society that cannot read a map. They may see a, a trail thinking that they could easily walk a particular trail in a couple of hours when, in fact, it's going to be a four-hour trip or a five-hour trip because it has a tremendous amount of appeal to it. People can't read that map and, and tell that it's going uphill or downhill or, or what. It's hard to do that on GPS and map. Hey, I want to do a shameless plug while you're on this subject. Tracy and I wrote a book, Essential Wilderness Navigation. The links are in the description below. So if you're interested in that, that comes out mid-April. So that has a whole chapter on nothing but map reading and how to read them and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, it's definitely a lost art, isn't it? It is. And unfortunately, it's the cause, as you're saying, a lot of people, not just for who you all work with, but it seems like it's nationwide. It's it's becoming epidemic that people are just tied into their technological devices and, and not going back to that map and compass type work that's so that works <laughs> that works really well you know our teams always carry some type of printed topo map so that we can spread it out uh, and and look and encompass the greater area and see what's going on of course the area that we deal with the vast majority of the time we're very familiar with uh, especially all the hot spots that people go to but uh, occasionally you'll get that off trail person and and um, you know we have to have to figure a way in and out we've got tremendous amount of cliffs around here so you you just mentioned something that's real important is you all know the trail really well you know the area and you've got a lot of people going into your area of operations there that don't know a trail i mean how do we I, I guess i don't know how to ask this question but how do you feel about people knowing a trail before they get on it is that you know I don't want to keep people from being adventurous and going places they've never been before. But at the same time, I mean, how do we go about knowing a trail before we get on it? Well, if you go into any type of park system, most every park has a website link that has maps of the of the area. So get your hand on a map, identify and plan your day out where you're going to go to, where you're going to park and all that kind of stuff. Now, the problem that, that you get into is whenever you start down that trail, especially around here, we have a lot of what, what we call user trails. It's all the locals that have found a, a hot spot, an arch or a waterfall or an overlook that is pretty neat, and they start walking it, and before long there's a trail out to it, a worn trail. 
Oh, but it's, it's not, not like an official trail, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not, not an official. It's okay. not on the map provided right. by the Forestry Department. So people can't tell what where the main trail is versus where the user trail, and they start down the user trail, and before long, they're, they're turned around and lost. So that's where a, a, a good topo map, GPS, or phone app would, would come in great. Uh, great usefulness to it. And I think maybe we have it in our notes to make sure we cover this at some point, but let's go ahead and hit it now since you, I think you've said this twice, is where do people get a good map? Well, again, if if, if I was going to a park, if I was going to a park to where I've never been, I'd definitely first search online. But there's websites out there. Sartopo.com is a good one. Yeah, that's the one I, I particularly use, but it's free. Uh, so it's priced right. And you can go in and generate maps of the area. Caltopo is the same as that. It's got the same engine to it. Some people say it's a little more robust, got more maps to it. So uh, go and generate your map. It's got all kinds of layers. You can have a topo layer, a, a Google layer, um, aerial map layer type deal, and generate your maps. A lot of those websites like that will have the main trails all, already on it. It'll have a... Uh, I, I know Saratopo has a forestry map layer, and you lay that on onto the screen, and it has a lot of the major uh, trails already on it. Is that what you all use? I mean, is that what what kind of things do you use for for navigation? You 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 just look at the trees, right? You don't ever use a compass, right? <laughs> you don't use uh, technology. The, You're a woodsman. <laughs> yeah, it was a what's a lick your finger, stick it up in the air, you know that kind <laughs> of stuff. We always carry maps with us, and I see Incident Command always has maps laid out tracking where we are and where we're going and the vast majority of us still carry a a standard typical handheld gps unit you know like a garmin something like that and i still carry mine i can't i cannot you know i just cannot not leave it um, at the house i just have to take it with me but in 2018 we have migrated to an app for that right everything has an app nowadays but it's called gaia g-a-i-a a GPS and it has a free version and it has some paid features to it. And quite honestly, I was trying to think the other day whenever you and I were talking about this, I don't think I've turned my handheld GPS, my Garmin on all year 2018. I don't think I used it one time. We've been talking about this. Tracy and I've been talking about this because we trained some folks that, that are still using GPS on the federal law enforcement level. And we're trying to encourage them to go to the apps. So the re the, I guess one question I think people need to I need to ask you so people can hear you a search and rescue person that uses this stuff a lot a whole lot is there's no way that an app can be on my phone can be as accurate as a GPS right yeah no yeah yeah we hear that all the time you know but because um, I spend four hundred dollars on my GPS Tracy and the app only costs twenty or free yeah the the smartphones today uses the same uh, satellites that your GPS unit has. And man, they have come a long way, haven't they? One thing that we have to watch is we may go in, say at nine o'clock at night to go and search for someone. We don't know if it's going to be an hour search or if it's going to be, um, you know, 6 a.m. coming out, which which happens quite often. So one thing that we have to guard against is, is battery use. So we all have pretty much purchase some type of battery pack to, to carry with us. What do you, what do you use? What kind of battery do you have to take with you? Is it the anchor? Yeah, but I don't remember the model number of it. Get a battery pack that you can at least get two, maybe three charges out of it because you just can't pop AA batteries into your phone like a GPS. 
the uh, but he, here's a word of caution though, and just like the the couple that I mentioned earlier, they had a phone in one hand, a GPS in the other, and they could not find their way back. Just because you have that GPS in hand, just because you have that phone uh, in hand, does not give you magical land navigation skills. So how do we get them? Two questions: How did you get your skills? And then how does the average ordinary listener that's that's listening to this podcast today, how do they go about getting skills? Well, I got in, introduced to land navigation skills through a basic training. I, I was uh, fortunate enough to serve in the Army Reserves. It's the kind of way I worked my way through college. And I had no clue. Whenever I graduated high school, you know, I, if you did tell me what Latin long is or what military grid reference or anything like that, I would have no clue. So I was introduced to there and it, it for some reason it just kind of caught my attention i just you know i like the like that aspect of it from there it was just practice 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 go out hike one thing that that i started doing to develop an understanding of the contour lines and topo features is whenever i go for a hike on a particular trail it may be an area that i'm very very familiar with matter of fact i suggest that be your way to start is every time i would sit down to watch wildlife or take a drink of water or just relax, enjoy the scenery, I would pull out my map and without turning on my GPS, I would figure out where I was on the map. You know, I'd mark it and then I'd pull out my GPS, get the exact coordinates and and see how close I was. And I just kept doing that over and over and over and over. And you'll eventually develop that skill of understanding. But we have had people, Craig, where they couldn't figure out where like due south is and they would have a compass on their bodies you know it's just just to buy the app or have a map with you is sometimes that gives you false security there's a skill that goes behind all that and you need to develop it so here's what i would suggest for people out there that does a lot of hiking and and that kind of stuff is go take a class find a um, find a land navigation somewhere somehow in your area and take it even even if you think that you are good with land navigation, because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Just take a class and then start practice, practice, practice. Yeah, I can. Re- I mean, obviously, we teach people uh, in, in a number of different disciplines, but but me as a teacher, I I've taken classes in the things that I teach. I still take classes in the things that I teach because you never know when that other instructor is going to say something that is that little nugget. I, I like to think of it as a toolbox. We all have a toolbox of skills and I have a certain amount of tools in my wilderness outdoors toolbox, but I, I guarantee I can go to a class where somebody's teaching and I can grab another tool from them and put it in my toolbox. So again, for those that are, that are new here, here's some words to look up and you, t- you jump in there, Tracy, if I'm missing something, but land navigation is typically more of a military terminology. Uh, wilderness navigation seems to be the buzzword for for hikers and backpackers. Uh, simple map and compass skills is another because um, everybody's wanting to know what to Google. Map and compass class that would be a good one. Um, map reading class, topography class that's another word that talks specifically on a map and how to read it. I saw a blog the other day in a group that I was in on Facebook where the guys t- titled his blog topography learning or something. But anyway, there's a lot of words there 
that you can Google to find that class locally. You know, we, Tracy and I are trying our best to develop some online training as well. We'll see how that goes. I think it'll come out but soon, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But there's always options for you, folks. There's no reason for you not to get into some sort of training. Yeah, very much so. Very much. I had a guy uh, tell me one time, we were talking about people not wanting to ask questions. And he made this comment to me, and it made, the, made just great sense to me. He said, Sometimes I'll ask a question, even if I know the answer. And he said, he said that does a couple of things. He said, one, if the person I asked gives me the answer that I think that I know, it just reassures me that I understand what's going on. And he said, sometimes they come back with something maybe a little bit different than what I think. And that allows me to learn. But if I didn't, but if I never answered, asked that question, then I would have never grown. Connor McGregor the other day in an interview, he said, if I'm not winning, I'm learning. And I thought that was pretty good for a lot of things. He said that after somebody had smashed him and he'd lost his fight, but it, it's just, it's just a good mindset and goes right along with what you're saying. I mean, you can, you can either learn in that situation or you're, you're already recognizing that, you know, and you're winning. So that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah. It just it kind of reinforces that you, you do have an understanding, or at least that's the general consensus of the understanding. For our folks that are listening, because you kind of talked about this with a couple of the stories that you've shared, which I really appreciate. I love real stories. Let's assume that we haven't done any of that stuff that we've talked about right, and we find ourselves lost. What should we do? Oh, my gosh. Um, stop walking. See, you don't want us to get more lost? <laughs> they don't want you to get more lost or injured. And, right. Um, oh, yeah. You know, that kind of deal. But I think you all covered a little podcast on the on Stopa. We did. We have a whole yeah, look back, guys and gals that are listening. Uh, David and I did a podcast on Stopa and the Law of Threes that that goes into detail why stopping is important. So you can check it out. But this is, Tracy's getting ready to apply what we talked about there in the real world. So why do you say stop to avoid injury? Oh yeah, definitely avoid injury and and to keep from getting more lost than what you are right now. But not only do you need to stop, you need to stop early. And the second, the second that you think that you're lost, you need to stop and try to contact someone. And cell phone coverage can be a little spotty. If you're out hiking and you're up high, a high level, stop and and, and call. Uh, call 911. Just in, in 2018, Craig, I have walked four people out over the phone just by them having a working phone. They were up at a higher level. I was able to contact them able to get the coordinates, plot it, say, yep, I know exactly where you are, and here's what you need to do. The Wolf County team, the SAR director up there, I know he, he just got through walking someone out probably about a month ago. So stop early. People don't stop early enough. You know, we would much rather go in at 5 p.m. than at 10 p.m. to come and help people, you know. Hey, but I want to emphasize, because I know, because knowing you, I, I just want to make sure everybody understands, you're going to go whenever. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're willing to do that. I don't want people to think that you're not willing to do that. You are, but just the better solution is to, to what you're describing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we much rather, we can see more, we can operate faster in the daylight, which is a good point. Let me, let me interject this right quick. You kind of keep pointing where we are, bring me back to this, but a volunteer search and rescue team, you know, we do not get paid. 
And the vast majority of the people that are on the team, they are actually out of pocket money to be part of the team. Uh, we Most of the time we have to buy our own gear and lights and that kind of stuff. Not always, but, but a good portion of it. So whenever that phone call comes in, we may have four or five team members that's out of the county. Uh, we may have one that is working and they have to call in someone to cover their shift for them. So whenever that 911 call comes in, it is not immediate reaction. Sometimes it takes us 30 minutes to an hour just to get rounded up and headed your, your way. So again, stop and stop early. If you can stop at higher elevation, stop, but don't ever put your, you know, yourself in danger, climb a cliffside or something. We had one lady try to do that and be yeah, out, stop, sit down, think about your surroundings, think about your gear, um, take a drink of water, relax a little bit. And sometimes your anxiety will drop and you'll kind of figure out where you are and where you're going and what trail and all that good stuff. Yeah. We've talked about it here on the podcast too, but, but, uh, when you're excited or when you're stressed, you don't make the best decisions, uh, because of physiological change in your body. So again, follow, following Tracy's advice by sitting down, all that stuff starts to subside. Your adrenaline courses through your body and spreads out and you relax, your heart rate drops, and, and then you can make those decisions. And it might be that you're looking at that map. Tracy mentioned somebody earlier looking at a map and looking at a phone and not being able to find themselves, find their way out. It might be that you sit down and relax for a bit and then you look at it and you go, oh, I'm right there and this is how I need to do things. So yeah, the, you know, the picture may become a little clearer for you whenever you just relax a little bit. And, you know, people don't want to call because they're embarrassed. We never go in and help someone that virtually the first words out of their mouth. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I can't believe, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, don't worry about that. That That's why we're here, you know, is to help people take that experience and learn from it. You know, start getting prepared for your next hike and that kind of stuff. But then if you're in a position where you realize that you may be there for a while, then start doing evaluations, uh, you know, your first aid, medical and body temperature and hydration, shelter, and all that kind of stuff. And I know you guys have talked about that quite a bit. So go back and listen to that podcast and it'll help you out. Sounds like you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> I am listening to the <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. That's good. I've listened to every one of them. <laughs> you, you mentioned people walking around in flip-flops and and no water. I'm assuming they don't have a shelter for the night either. I mean, what kind of, what kind of things do you recommend or what, what's your mindset on what we should go out with? Yeah, absolutely. I don't care if you're going on a, a one hour hike. Uh, or a four-hour hike. I don't care if you leave at 9 a.m. in the morning and you got all day to make a four-hour hike. Carry enough gear that will um, sustain you through the night because you may have to spend the night. So carry some type of shelter, a tarp. Um, you know, I I can't hardly break the habit of, of carrying the Army poncho with me. You know, carry something that will help you through the night. Have your first aid kit with you. Have uh, a fire kit with you. Be able to build a fire. People go out all the time. I'm just going out for an hour hike. I'm just going out for a two-hour hike, a short day hike. I'm just going straight there and straight back. And we end up going in at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight, assisting them out. And, and you never think, hey, I'm going in for a two-hour hike and I've got eight hours left of daylight. What's going to happen? Well, you may slip on that rock and you may not be able to walk. So one thing you haven't mentioned yet, we probably need to get into is I guess first aid situations or or situations where we find ourselves and hey we're going to die right now if something doesn't happen it, it how do you handle first aid or what do you recommend for first aid and what do you recommend for 
the possibility of self-rescue? I mean, are, these are pretty big topics, really. Well, in terms of, of first aid, you've got to get to class. You've got to learn the basics of first aid. And there's tons of information out there to develop your own individual first aid kit and carry it with you. We have had two ladies, they actually, whenever we got there, they actually had fire kit and they had built a fire. And I'm talking about the temp- temperature was like zero degrees that night, dead of winter. And talking to them, they had enough to build up shelter. They had the fire kit and a fire going and they had a first aid kit in case something happens. And that that just rarely happens unless it's an experienced hiker. We got to get to class. Got to get to class. So what can what can people do? Well, you know, again, they've they've messed up. What kind of things can they have with them, or what kind of things can they do to help signal their position to to you as a search and rescue volunteer and your team? You're coming in to find us. What what can we do? Well, we mentioned fire, and you know, I would definitely say that's a plus, and and not only from search and rescue teams coming in, but it will help regulate your body temperature in the wintertime and, and uh, keep down some potential medical issues once we get there. If I'm walking through a trail and I say, oh, no, I'm lost, stay on that trail. Don't go up into the woods and sit down because those trails are the exact same trails that search and rescue teams are going to be coming in on. And not only that, you, you, you run the probability of other hikers coming through as well. So stay on that trail. You know, you're, you're most visible right there on that trail. Fire's good. You can buy these uh, lights that have the strobes to them. Hang that up in a tree. Let it dangle in the open air. And it, I think mine um, strobes every three seconds maybe. Good for eight hours. You know, that, that can be seen. High-vis clothing, bright clothing. And not only bright clothing, consider having something that reflects so that if uh, a search and rescue headlamp shines through the, the forestry and if it catches you, it, it will reflect not just a bright yellow or a bright orange or, you know, that kind of stuff. A good old Army PT belt would be good too, right? Anything, yeah. I mean, safety vest. You know, think about think about driving up at night on a wreck and what's the first thing you see? I and mean, you see all these little reflectors going off on people's uh, safety vests vest and such. Uh, carrying marking tape bright orange or bright red uh, green marking tape and um, stringing it up in the tree limbs and letting it you know dangle in the air and, and flow with the airflow if you do have to get off the trail for you know maybe safety or something like that take that marking tape and just go from tree to tree and directly across the trail you know someone's definitely going to stop and try to figure out what's going on put debris in the field make a big X. We have a lot of creeks and streams around here. So if you are located very close to that stream, that running water is going to drown out a tremendous amount of sound. So that's one of the advantages of stopping and stopping early. You can evaluate your surroundings and you may want to, again, stay on the trail, but you may want to walk that trail back or maybe a little forward and get away from that that creek to so that you can hear people yell because we do a lot of whistles and yell and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think about that. Me, there's sometimes I get away from creek just so I can to hear more wildlife and stuff. Yeah. But I never thought about it from yeah, a search yeah, and rescue yeah. perspective. That's really good information there. That's good. Yeah, yeah. because we'll be um, 
you know, as we come in, we'll be blowing our whistles and uh, even yelling. We, we've located several people by yelling. Uh, get on the radio and announce to all the team members we're getting ready to yell. Everybody stops and they're very still. And the team yells, you know, most time we have their name and we'll yell their name. And then that way uh, every team member is listening. And uh, and then we'll go from there. But yeah, if you're close to a creek, it, it knocks it out. What uh, what's your thoughts on people, average ordinary hiker, having a radio with them? Is there any advantages to like a ham radio or anything like that? Yes, absolutely. The teams that uh, both teams that I work on, and then the other neighboring county, we all operate on the same frequency. So whenever we leave the uh, IC incident command and teams are headed into the into the woods everybody's on the same frequency and that's basically frs channel five it's a little walkie talkies that you can buy at walmart and it's just channel five on there you know but um if if i was going into an area that i have never been before especially if i was taking you know, family members and in a group and that kind of stuff, I would call ahead, locate the search and rescue organization for that area and ask them, do you all operate on a certain frequency, a certain channel? And, and I guarantee you they do. It's, you know, every team has a standard communication, explain to them what you're doing and, and say, okay, I'm going to have a walkie talkie and, um, you know, I'll, I'll have it with me in case something happens and I'll be tuned to that channel. So, you know, your phone may not work, but if the lost hiker is at the head of a hollow and you're at the mouth of it, there's a good chance that simple um, $50 walkie-talkie radio is going to pick up where your phone won't. You mentioned ham radio. Now, I'm, I'm an amateur radio license holder, ham operator. Everybody listening, we we think it's that valuable. So check it out uh, real quick. Like the Tracy was the one that, that keyed me in on this information, and it was and it was one of the reasons I ended up going to get my ham license. If you all remember a few years ago, the big fires that happened down in uh, Smoky Mountains, ham radio operators were played a vital role in in search and rescue and a lot of things that happened down there. So uh, ham radio license is a is a fantastic thing to get, and it's not that hard. To get it it's just a test and you take it and then and then you have a lot of advantages with your your ham that you wouldn't with your just general family radio service the way that amateur licensed radio organizations work and in every area will probably have a club so to speak and they will have what's called um, net check-ins if if something major happens in an area and even in this area they do it for weather for a big storm coming in there's guys that will open up the repeater ham ham radio repeater and it will be dedicated to that event so that fire you were talking about craig there would be people who were visiting that area that had their license they would call and say hey you know we're uh, vacating the area and we're going to be leaving by such and such road how is it well at this time it's clear or the last report it's very slow traffic you know that kind of stuff so, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I would encourage any listener to, to get in and check that out, you know, whatsoever. But now, carrying a radio with you, absolutely. Put it in your pack. Take the batteries out of it so that they don't corrode. And, and just, you know, you don't have to use it. Leave, it. leave it in your pack. And if something happens, pull it out, 
put the batteries in and you're, you know, at least you got another potential option to, to establish communication. And, and, and here's, here's something that I would recommend with use of a walkie talkie, put it in your kid's pack. You That's where I was going had. next, man. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Put it in your pack, put one in your child's pack. If something happens to them and they were to get separated, train them how to um, operate that, you know, radio. And um, it, it may, may come in very beneficial someday for you. Uh, well, that's something we haven't talked about yet. What other things can you recommend for people with kids and stuff of that nature? Because it's kids handle themselves differently than adults. So what, what can we tell the, our listeners about how to teach their kids or what they need to know? Yeah, they, they do. Uh, kids operate differently. We have had, um, uh, I, I've, I've been on a handful of searches for kids, but they, fortunately, they ended very quickly. We were able to locate them. I've, I've never been on a, an extended search for just a kid. That, that would be heartbreaking. We, but I have researched some of it, and there have been incidents where search and rescue teams walk right by the lost child. And they may be under um, under a brush or in a thicket, you know, feeling safe in those areas. The search and rescue teams walk by them yelling their name and they would not yell back. So parents, you start training your kids and teaching them if something happens and, you, and you're out in this environment, someone yells your name, you yell back. Teach your kids to do what you should do, which is quit walking. Hug a tree which means just find a tree and stay right there. Parents, whenever you are uh, heading out with your kids, put high visibility clothing on them. Get that bright jacket so that people uh, people can um, potentially see them out there. I mean, there's, there's several things that you can do. Man, this has been good stuff, my friend. This has been real good stuff. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on with us and and chat it. What, what, is there anything I've missed that we need to discuss? I, I would encourage you to the listeners to mindset skills, tactics, and gear. Is there any way we can connect with you? Well, I happen to assist a gentleman teach that teaches outdoor <laughs> skills. Uh, his name is Craig Cottle and he runs this fantastic uh, outdoor survival school. And uh, it's called nature reliance school out of Winchester, Kentucky. And we teach about it. Uh, any topic that you can possibly think of. I'll so. take you to lunch for saying that. <laughs> In all seriousness, guys, find some. We've had a lot of listeners all over the place. So, guys, look up. Uh, usually your typical your typical survival instructor should have skills in wilderness navigation. If they don't, <laughs> then find somebody else. Find somebody that can teach you some skills that will share information with you. Check check us out at Nature Reliance School. We, you know, Tracy teaches our navigation courses and uh, I try to help him when, when and where I can as well. As far as social media is concerned, check us out on the Facebook group for Nature Reliance. If you're on Facebook, we have a Facebook page. We also have a group, and we share navigation tips on there. I hear, I hear, I think we mentioned this earlier, that Tracy's co-author of a book. Is that right? That's right. Um, we got a <laughs> land navigation book coming out, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing that and getting that out. So that, that book's, uh, the link for that book is down below, guys, if you all want to get that. And one of the things that we 
were tasked to do is a lot of people have said, hey, I've got navigation books, but it's just too over my head. Can you write in everyday language? And who better to write a book on everyday language except the two Kentucky boys, right? So yeah, it's the only language we know. Everybody listening, go now, right now. Subscribe to the podcast. It's free. It doesn't cost you a dime. Uh, that ensures that you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they pop up. Uh, if you've noticed, which I hope you have, particularly if you subscribe, we're doing a lot of podcasts these days, and that's been a direct result of your request. If you enjoy the podcast and you wouldn't be here if you didn't, then go over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, or wherever it is that you listen on Spotify, Google Play, uh, wherever it is that you listen to these podcasts, give us a five-star rating and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That really helps us out. And all of that is free. You don't have to pay a dime to get all that. So that's it, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. Stay sharp.